Welcome back to another episode of Growth Marketers Podcast. I'm Samuel Timothy. And I am Taylor Rowe. Uh, today we're starting a new series uh, called Best in Class, and what we're doing is really diving into and exploring what best in class companies, best in class organizations are doing uh, from a marketing perspective. And so today we dove into uh, what best in class companies are doing uh, from a mindset and approach. Uh, so we wanted to start pretty high level with you in terms of uh, how these companies, how leaders at these organizations, the ones that are really succeeding, right, in terms of how we define what best in class means. Best in class means uh, what it sounds like, right? They're leading in the industry. Um, they're innovators. They're they're growth oriented. Um, they're you know companies that that we all aspire to be, right? If we were to ask ourselves, hey. What does our company look like in a perfect world? How is it structured? Uh, how do we acquire customers? Uh, how do we grow? Uh, that's what we wanted to to define and explore what that looks like. Uh, and so, all of these components, all of these ideas, uh, are you know real examples, ideas that we see from companies that are succeeding, companies that have succeeded in the past. Uh, and we wanted to format them in a way, uh, in sort of a mini series here, where each week we dive into different components of best-in-class organizations. So today we're starting with the best-in-class uh, mindset and approach uh, in relation to marketing and what those organizations look like. So we hope you enjoy the episode. Please give us a like, subscribe to the podcast. Let's dive right in. So Taylor, we're fortunate to have the front seat access to a lot of what goes on with our customers uh, and and seeing what works and seeing where are some of the areas where our customers don't do too well, right? Uh, sometimes it's, it's the competitive nature of the marketplace. Sometimes it's the leadership. Um, all of those things are affecting you know what our customers sometimes do. But we also have an opportunity to study some of the industry leaders in the categories where our customers compete in, all of which has given us uh, exposure to what some of the best-in-class companies do when it comes to sales and marketing. And, and what our goal uh, in the upcoming weeks is to kind of uncover and unpack some of those learnings that we've gotten by studying the best-in-class companies, uh, some of which happen to be our customers and some of them we've learned from having studied their competitors and the categories that they competed. Uh, so hopefully in the upcoming weeks, we can uncover some of those. And our goal today is to, to probably elaborate on just one core area of what best-in-class companies do, which is mostly from a mindset and approach uh, when it comes to marketing specifically. And some, some, of it would be, uh, some of it would have to do with sales as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about this series of, um, you know, diving into, like you said, what we see best in class companies doing. And, and almost, um, you know, our goal here is to kind of paint the picture of, um, you know, if, if we were to be a perfect organization, you know, at least from a, a marketing or sales and marketing perspective, what does that look like, right? If we can take all the key components and ingredients, if you will, of what works really well, what other companies are doing really well, and combine those all together, what does that look like? So, before we get into the the details and the the nitty gritty around you know best in class uh, approach to individual tactics uh, in marketing, we wanted to start with uh, just a as you said a, a general mindset and approach, right? So, uh, how do best in class companies approach marketing, and how do they think about marketing? How is it valued within the organization? How is it prioritized? Uh, and you know what are those companies doing well, and, and how do they get to that point? So. 
To start off, um, you know, I think what we've seen, uh, the companies that are very successful, these companies that are best in class when it comes to marketing, have a very deep understanding of three things. Uh, one is their customers, uh, one is their product, uh, and the third is, as I just mentioned, really the value of marketing. And I don't know if you can prioritize those three things, obviously they're all very important, but really the, the one that stands out to me the most, companies that are the most successful at marketing, they have a very, very deep understanding of their customer. Um, and really, if you think about what you're trying to do as a marketer and you think about um, you know, what we're trying to accomplish, we're trying to reach our audience, we're trying to, I mean, really, we're trying to sell to them, right? We're trying to educate, get in front of our audience, educate them on the, the, the value of our product or service and get them to you know, ultimately want to buy that, whatever that product or service is. So uh, having a deep understanding of your customer is, is probably the most important um, and probably most overlooked aspect of marketing. And the companies that really understand the need to have a deep understanding uh, and prioritize having a deep understanding of the customer uh, are at the top of the top when it comes to best in class. Yeah, I think the the biggest um, you know thing that I've seen the best in class companies do when it comes to understanding the customer is they are doing marketing from a customer centric standpoint. They're putting the customer in the middle of everything, so it's not their messaging, their product is all revolved around the customer, and not like oh here's our best product, just come and buy our product, right? Because they really are uh, they have a deep understanding of customers' pain points, uh, the problems that they're trying to solve, and, and, and empath you know, uh, being very empathetic toward the customer, what they're dealing with every day, right? And then even evolving or refining their product offering and service offering to really tailor to that customer. If you do that really well, the customers will come to you, and you will get a lot more referrals. You will get a lot more loyal customer base. Uh, right. So understanding the customers, you couldn't under you know you couldn't emphasize that enough. Absolutely. And so if, if you're a company, an organization, a marketing leader, and you and you say, hey, I want to become a best-in-class company, I want to transform our department into a best-in-class marketing organization, uh, and the first thing you want to start with is customer uh, and having a deep understanding of, of your customer. Honestly, the first thing you should do is, is start with customer interviews. You need to talk to your customers. Why do they like working with you? Why did they choose to work with you? Uh, have they worked with any competitors in the past? What are those differences like? What was the buying experience like? <clears throat> How did they find out about you? Uh, have they considered leaving? Uh, you know, Talking to existing customers, past customers, uh, even sales opportunities maybe that, that chose to go with a competitor really need to get into the mindset and understand you know, what makes them tick, uh, what what you know again what do they like about working with your organization because a lot of times what you think is the value of your product or service what you think your competitive advantage is doesn't matter as much to your your customer right so really understanding what's important to them uh, is probably the first thing i would do you know if you were trying to build up a marketing department or change the culture internally from a marketing perspective yeah, a lot of times I think we're too too lazy to do that um, hard work of interviewing the customer and getting to know them on a personal level, right? And, and I know a lot of sales organizations do have win-loss analysis and they go interview their lost deals and sometimes their VP of sales or someone in the senior leadership might call on a, a nice opportunity that they were working for three months, six months, nine months, and then they went the loss. They want to really go find out what actually happened. But very rarely marketing do a great job of Analyzing why did we not win? You know why did not convert an you know a lead into an opportunity? Why didn't we win an opportunity? But essentially, 
it does take some effort on the part of the marketing team and the business to really get to know their customers on a deeper level. It's not something you can just assume. A lot of times we've been in exercises where we're coming up with a buyer persona or idea customer profile. It's all assumptions based on someone, what they think, who their persona is, and what they believe is their ideal customer profile. It's, it's, it has very rare to do with uh, what the customer actually believes about their product or service or the company. Right. And I think that's the key is that we we're in such a digital environment, a digital world that, um, you know, marketers are maybe a couple of steps removed from the end customer. And it's, you know, so much about data and analytics and, you know, how can we, how can we infer all this information from all the data that we have and how, what pages are they looking at on the website and how they're finding the website and where they're engaging with us the most and what, you know, what traffic source is leading to the most, uh, you know, pipeline or qualified opportunities. And as you mentioned, you know, we're doing all this work and nobody, you know, thought to, hey, let's just, have we, have we tried talking to our customer? Have we tried, you know, taking them out to lunch? Have we tried, you know, jumping on a phone call? Those are some simple things that make a world of difference uh, instead of trying to make assumptions or inferences from what the data is showing. So, uh, to recap and summarize around customer, what, what best-in-class marketing organizations are doing from a customer perspective, again, they're talking with their customers. They're consistently doing customer interviews. Again, this is not just a one-time, hey, you know, I'm hired as the you know, head of marketing, I'm going to do a customer interview, and now I understand who our customers are. Right? The world is ever-evolving, your customers are changing, your product should be evolving and growing, the competitive landscape is changing. Uh, outside, you know, economical and you know, environmental factors are changing. So you should have uh, some sort of system in place to continuously do customer interviews, get that feedback loop, uh, and implement those changes. That's the big difference, right? Is not just gather this information, make decisions based on this information, and implement that into your marketing. So we're doing consistent customer interviews. This leads to us having uh, very customer-centric marketing. Uh, we are educating our buyers. Uh, we are helping, right? We're not we're not selling. We're not pushing. We're not talking about all of the features that that we have uh, from our product or service. We're talking about what choosing to work with us, what choosing to buy from us will do for your organization, right? What can you do with us? Uh, or what can you do for me, right? Uh, again, you mentioned we have well thought out uh, buyer personas. We know who our ideal customers are. We know who we are, we know who our customers are, uh, and we know how to make an impact uh, at their organization or you know, in their lives. So having that deep understanding of, of customers is certainly the first step in, in becoming a best-in-class marketing organization. So Taylor, we touched on you know, the number one priority when it comes you know, from a mindset standpoint for organizations that are really doing a great job from a marketing standpoint is the customer. Um, so what's the second, second one we need to, to focus on? Yeah, I mean, if you have a deep understanding of your, your customer, I think the next logical step is we need to have a, a deep understanding of ourselves, right, and, and really our product. Uh, and if you're, you're in a service you know, space, uh, just for the simplicity of this conversation, whatever we deliver to our customers, we're going to call that our product, right? Whether that's a physical product, whether that's a software, whether that's training, whether that's a service that we're providing, it's it's still the product that, that we're producing as an organization. So, um if we we first have to have a deep understanding of our customer, next we need to have a deep understanding of our product. Uh, and again, these need to be real understandings, not surface level, uh, you know, well, we think this is what we do or this is the benefit that we have as an organization. Uh, if we're the, the more technical and the more difficult the space that we're in, 
the more there's a need for things like uh, interviews with subject matter experts. Uh, again, if you're in the marketing space, you're hired to promote the business. Uh, you should have a deep understanding of marketing and digital marketing, but you may not have a deep understanding of your industry or your product. Uh, so you need to spend the time that's required to be that mouthpiece for the organization, right? You need to really understand what it is that, that you produce uh, and all the different aspects of that product that, that you produce. So uh, important things to do, again, on a consistent basis are subject matter uh, interviews. Uh, we need to do competitor and industry research. Uh, we really need to keep a pulse on our product and service that we're producing and, and what's happening in the industry. Yeah, and you need to be, especially as the uh, if you're trying to become a category leader, right, you need to be the one who is setting the buying criteria and educating the market about your product and, and how, to, how to choose the right um, provider for your product or service. Uh, if all you're doing is um, kind of piggybacking on what the competitors may have set, set as the buying criteria and what the competitors is teaching your end customers about, uh, then you're not really setting the, the trend. Uh, so especially from that standpoint, you want to be having subject matter experts that's on camera talking about how the industry is trending or how your product might help. Uh, or like you said, really studying what the competition is doing and doing a better job of communicating the value proposition of your service offering or your product offering and making sure your customers fully understand your product. Um, don't leave it to chance. It, this is not something that you can just leave it to chance. It's something that you have to be intentional about uh, learning uh, what really resonates with your customer and then making sure you're turning that into um, value points that your customers can comprehend. Absolutely agree. Uh, and so if we go down that list, right, and we say, okay, uh, we want to become a best-in-class organization, uh, we want to be growth-oriented, we really want to uh, be a leader in the space, we understand our customer, we understand uh, our product, what's next is is really understanding marketing and understanding what's going on uh, in you know 2023 and beyond when it comes to marketing, digital marketing, reaching our audience, influencing their decision-making process, and how that works. Uh, and so a couple of things we want to touch on, right, in terms of what best-in-class companies, what is their approach, what is their mindset when it comes to marketing? What we found is that the companies that are really winning and succeeding, um, they have a good understanding of uh, short-term and long-term goals when it comes to marketing. Again, when we go back to what we just talked about with everything becoming so digital and having access to all this data and uh, ROI metrics, um, some companies have shifted their focus to just look at short-term goals, right? And to say, hey, we know that best-in-class companies are investing in marketing, so we want to invest in marketing, but we want to test, right? And our test meaning we're going to run you know, LinkedIn ads or Facebook ads or Google ads for two weeks, two months, whatever that is. And, you know, if, if we don't get a positive ROI in that time frame, then, you know, that we're going to write that channel off as, uh, you know, something that doesn't work for our industry, right? We really need to understand how marketing works, how it can work in our benefit and how to build a brand, right? Uh, best in class companies value brand and invest in brand building activities and understand the difference in brand building activities and, what we would call demand capture activities or um, you know channels like Google Ads or uh, bottom of the funnel search on on SEO, those type of things that are more direct response, right? So you have to focus on the future and overall growth and scalability of your organization and your marketing department. And that comes from a top-down understanding of how marketing works and a value of marketing and how it can impact your organization. 
Yeah, and we've seen this um, firsthand how uh, companies that did not have more of a long-term mindset and very much focus on short-term, right? Uh, they might run to you. Maybe this is an internal uh, internal conversation oftentimes happen. Well, salespeople, can I meet their quota? We need to turn on some sort of Google Ads campaign. We need to fill the pipeline with some leads so we can hit, uh, hit the road running with some opportunities uh, so we can finish the quarter strong. Or uh, coming to a marketing agency, uh, as a lifesaver and say, hey, what can you do, guys? What can you guys do in the next 90 days or 60 days? Sometimes even right. 30 days uh, to get some quick win opportunities for our sales team, right? Where it's all about the short term and have no long term vision in mind. Um, so, and then if you don't see success in the short term, then they write that write that off and say, well, marketing doesn't work for us or the channel doesn't work for us. We've seen that time and time again, and we oftentimes caution our customers to to get out of that mindset and to have more of a long-term vision and invest accordingly, and the importance of really having a strong brand and how that impacts buyer decisions, right? right? If, if companies, if your prospective customers recognize your brands, know your products, have seen your uh, logo and your content and consume your information, they're gonna have much deeper trust in, in, um, trust in your organization and your product offering, much more likely to buy than someone who they just saw in an ad uh, and then expecting them to go through a demo and in 30 days decide to make a purchase from them. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, one of the, the questions we get all the time when it comes down to, okay, you know, what, what are best-in-class companies investing in, in marketing, right? And, and this does vary by company, by company size, by industry, by, by organization. Um, and, you know, to be honest, we're not a, a huge fans of, uh, you know, blanket uh, statistics around, well, you are in X industry, so you should spend X number of dollars. But um, at the same time, we want to give, uh, you know, give our audience, you know, what they're looking for in terms of some sort of ballpark. So uh, we want to share a couple of stats with you in terms of what best in class organizations are investing in their marketing. Uh, broken down by industry. So this is as a percentage of, of total revenue. Uh, so what we've seen and what the statistics show is that uh, banking, finance, insurance uh, spends about 8% of their uh, revenue, as would be, I guess, gross revenue on uh, their marketing. They're allocating about 8% of marketing or their, their gross revenue towards marketing. Uh, healthcare uh, is a little bit higher. Uh, 18% uh, of their revenue is allocated towards marketing. Manufacturing, 13%. Uh, service business or consulting um, is, uh, again, a little probably the highest here in the B2B space, about 21%. And then the average for B2B across the board, uh, when, you, when you put them all together in average, uh, is just shy of 10% at 9% of gross revenue towards marketing. So, you know, if you're a B2B organization out there and you're trying to figure out how do we become a best-in-class company, one of the things that, that we've seen is again on paper you say okay we, we're going to have the right mindset when it comes to marketing so we under, we really understand our our customers we really understand our product and service we know who we are and and we just need more people to know who we are because we're kind of the best kept secret in our organization so we're going to start investing into marketing you know we hire a couple of people for marketing we start investing in you know some google ads or social media maybe we hire an agency and then, you know, you wonder, well, why isn't it? Why isn't it working? Why aren't we seeing the growth? Uh, well, there's a number of reasons, right? I mean, there's so many variables that impact whether or not your marketing campaigns are going to be successful. But one thing that we do see a lot is companies that are underspending in relation to the size of their organization, and probably more importantly, the size of their, size of their market, right? Because 
sometimes we can confuse, well, we're a small organization, so we shouldn't invest X number of dollars in marketing or, or, you know, we can't compete with, you know, some of these bigger, bigger companies. Like we need to understand what is this total, you know, addressable market? Uh, what is the, the size of that, that audience that we're trying to get in front of? And then think realistically and logically around, you know, if we're spending $60,000 or we're spending $100,000 or whatever that number is, like, what are we really expecting? How much of that audience are you really expecting to get in front of uh, with that type of budget? So I would look at those kind of metrics and I would, you know, again, if you're in the B2B space, if you're in a service business, consulting business, and the the national average is showing 21% of the, uh, you know, your gross revenue is being allocated towards marketing, I would venture to say a lot of the companies that are that are struggling or saying that marketing doesn't work for them, they're not allocating anywhere near 21% of their, their dollars towards marketing. So I'm not saying you have to, or I'm not saying that's the key to success, but again, these are what best in class companies are doing. These are what the top companies, uh, from a growth perspective, from a marketing standpoint, customer acquisition, brand affinity, brand awareness, this is what they're doing. So if you want to make a real change in your organization, you have to look yourself in the mirror and determine what type of company you want to be. Yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, you cannot just throw money at a problem and expect to, to solve that. Not at all. But that's part of the reason why we actually started with understanding the customer is one of the main thing too. So when you get to understand the customer, you will know where they congregate for information. You would know how they go about making a purchase decision for a product or service that you offer. Uh, you would know the kind of decision-making criteria that they have, right? And then also leads to your products and how to position your product in the marketplace in, compar- in comparison to your uh, alternatives that they have in the in the market, right? Uh, really understanding how to position, whether in the messaging, in the, in the channels that you would uh, market market or promote, all of those things have to be uh, well understood as an organization, right? And then once you have those two things figured out, then the numbers have to also add up, right? Because you can't have unrealistic expectation on what marketing can do when you're not you're under-investing into marketing. And especially this goes back to what we also said about the long-term versus uh, short-term. Especially when the leaders are very short-term focused, they don't invest as much either because they don't value the long-term impact of what marketing can do, how that marketing investment is going to build a company value, how that brand equity is going to play, pay a long game, how you play that long game to build a brand equity, not just in the short term, just win new accounts or win new logos, but especially in the future if you're trying to sell or get acquired or to do any of those things, that brand value is also going to play, play a big part in uh, how that company value would uh, be valued in, uh, by some buyer or investor. So yes, you cannot emphasize the need for having the right amount of budget uh, going into it, but just don't think that just throwing some money in a problem is going to uh, <laughs> solve the problem either. Right. Yeah. And it's not just, as you mentioned, it's not just how much are we spending, right? In terms of identifying ourselves as, okay, we're, we spend X number of dollars in marketing. So we're, we're classified as the top 5% of organizations, right? We are best in class. Uh, it's driving results. And so mm-hmm. what we've also found is that you know, best-in-class companies uh, drive about 25 to 30% of their sales pipeline uh, is marketing-sourced revenue, right? So if you look at that, and actually I think there's some some trends, and we've seen some trends depending on industry, that um, the number is actually a little bit higher, right? Because uh, we've seen a lot of companies shifting towards marketing-driven organizations versus uh, you know, sales outbound uh, in terms of, of driving that growth, particularly in early stage. Uh, we've seen changes in buying behavior. Uh, even, you know, you look at what's happened with uh, post-COVID and work from home culture and those type of things. Cold calling and cold outreach. Uh, everybody is so inundated with, 
emails and LinkedIn, you know, emails and messages. And, uh, you know, we don't always have everybody's IP address and, uh, you know, uh, phone number and all those type of things that, that we can do some of those same tactics that we were doing, you know, a few years ago from a sales outreach perspective. So if you look at how do we grow as an organization, uh, how do we get in front of new people? How do we acquire more customers? A lot of organizations are leaning heavily into marketing. And so the companies that are doing that well uh, are driving, again, anywhere from 25 to maybe 50% of their new business from marketing. So if we look at that by the numbers and we said, just for the, the sake of an example, we said, hey, we're a $10 million company in the B2B space. Uh, again, based on B2B average, we should be allocating 900000 to a $1 million in, in annual marketing budget. Um, now, how you measure that is is different for every company, and you might look at that number and say nine hundred thousand. You know, that's for a ten million dollar business. You know, spending a million dollars on marketing is is crazy. But I think a lot of companies also don't measure their total marketing spend and total uh, cost of acquisition correctly. Right? They look at their hard costs in terms of outside costs and what they're paying an agency or what they're spending on Google Ads, and they're not counting internal overhead. They're not counting the you know, if you have someone who wears, you know, sales and marketing, right? And so you're you're interviewing salespeople and you, salespeople are creating content or salespeople are doing the marketing for you. Um, you know, they're putting that budget into sales overhead versus marketing overhead. So clearly defining what are sales activities and what are marketing activities is, is first and foremost. All the overhead that it takes, you know, if you're doing trade shows, if you're, you know, you're investing in tech technologies, you're buying, you have marketing tech, you know, uh, ad spend, agencies. So, you know, in-house uh, outsource all those type of things. I mean, you can quickly get up to that that number of you know six hundred, seven hundred, eight hundred, nine hundred thousand dollars when it comes to marketing. So, if you're not you know spending anywhere near that, um, then I think again you need to reevaluate what your expectations are from a marketing perspective and and how do we free up more budget to invest into marketing because again that's where the majority of the new business growth is coming from. So if we said hey we're a ten million dollar company and thirty percent of our marketing our re- revenue is marketing source. It's about $3.3 million in um, in uh, marketing source revenue, right? So you have to look at what are our growth goals, what percentage of growth do we anticipate to come from marketing, uh, and then that's when you can start looking at your overall ROI numbers, uh, again, both short-term and, and long-term. And obviously, there's a lot of variables that impact this, right? These are kind of blanket statements. Um, overall, your business model is going to impact, uh, you know, is this a one-off sale? Are these repeat customers are they on subscription model uh what is your overall lifetime value of a customer and how much are you willing to spend in terms of acquisition uh what is the length of the sales cycle what's the overall size of your company the industry that you're in i think market maturity is another thing that uh, doesn't get talked about enough in terms of you know how much we should spend on marketing what kind of roi we should see um you know what does your market look like uh you know what do your customers know about your market or your industry or your product is this something that is, you know, well known and you know maybe commoditized? Is this something that there's a lot of education required in order for them to understand the need and value for your service uh, or your product? There's a lot that needs to happen. Your brand maturity again uh, is going to impact uh, overall lifetime value. Is going to impact uh, sales velocity. Uh, we need to understand the the competition. So. You know, obviously, you're not going to just take these metrics and take these numbers and try to implement them into your organization, but you should set goals based on what you believe it will take to be a best in class organization for your industry and what that means for you as a company. Uh, And you can use these metrics as sort of benchmarks to help guide you.
Yeah, and especially like uh, what we've seen in the B2B space is most of the B2B clients that we've ever dealt with, they all have long sales cycle, you know, consider purchase process uh, and extremely high lifetime value for each customer. So it may seem as though the cost of acquisition might be a little bit high in the beginning, but if the lifetime value is great enough, then you need to be the ones that are investing the most, uh, especially if you want to compete uh, in a hyper-competitive marketplace. So when you talked about like the industry or the market maturity, uh, if you're going into a market that have a couple of major players who owns the marketplace and owns the um, you know majority of the market share, then you cannot be a small player and expect to uh, have um, much much growth uh, from it, right? So you need to be investing much more aggressively uh, to acquire customers because whoever can spend the most on acquisition can win. At the end of the day, right? Because if uh, if you're not getting found and if you're not getting uh, the impression in the market uh, market awareness that you need for your brand, you're not going to win. Uh, so keep in mind the customer lifetime value is an ingredient that you need to be considering when you are uh, investing. And if the lifetime value is great enough, you should be investing um, as much as possible to win. Yeah, and I see the the opposite happen a lot as well, right? Uh, where the industry in general, you know, particularly in the B2B space, uh, if you're working with maybe something that's a little bit more old school manufacturing type companies, those, those sort of organizations, um, you know, you, you look at the lack of industry activity and then, you know, a lot of companies or business leaders will say, well, that's just not how our industry works, right? Um, and they stick with the status quo because that's what our customers don't find us online or our customers don't make purchase decisions online or they're they're not influenced by by marketing right um, that's not how our industry works what best-in-class companies see there in terms of lack of industry activity they see that as an opportunity rather than an excuse to maintain the status quo you look at that and you say wow this is a, a completely blue ocean nobody in my industry is doing this so i can be the first right I can get that first mover advantage. I can change the way that uh, we reach our audience in our industry. I can change the way that buying decisions are made. And I can I can actually write that roadmap and I can create that. I can be the one to educate our customers. Uh, and ultimately, uh, I can be the, the one to win, right? So best-in-class companies see that lack of industry activity as an opportunity rather than an excuse. Yeah, that goes to the mindset thing that we were talking about earlier, right? That is definitely a mindset shift. Uh, right, just like oh, not everybody's doing it, so we're just gonna do what everybody else is doing. Uh, you don't want to do that. You certainly want to be uh, proactive in how you know take control of your destiny by taking action. Sure. So along with that mindset, right, um, other factors that we see and other characteristics of best-in-class companies. Best-in-class companies uh, have a continuous improvement mindset, right? So they are always open to testing and, and learning. Uh, they're looking for uh, ways to invest into what we call employee L&D, right? Learning and development. Um, they have uh, a culture of, you know, best idea wins. Uh, we're not, you know, married or, or, you know, stuck to one idea or, you know, hey, we're, we're paying for this person to be in this position. So whatever they say is, is the right the right way right we have to have the right culture internally to create and cultivate um you know that innovation and in that risk taking uh you know mindset if you will or the ability to to take some risks and test and learn uh and so i think that overall idea of continuous improvement uh and not being afraid to fail when it comes to again when it comes to marketing uh, you can come up with as as much hypotheses as, as you want in terms of what you think is going to work and what you did at your last company and what you see other you know competitors doing in the marketing space but at the end of the day 
the data uh, is going to actually dictate uh, what that strategy should look like. Uh, you need to come up with good ideas. You need to, to fail fast and test and improve. Uh, and having that continuous improvement mindset uh, and culture internally is a big factor when it comes to being a successful organization, particularly from a marketing standpoint. Yeah, this is where I would also challenge the leadership, not just the marketing uh, team members or the sales team members, but I think the leadership need to be uh, much more proactive about this because if you don't encourage this from your uh, department heads, they're not going to be very um, good when it comes to risk-taking or they're not going to be uh, uh, very proactive in coming up with new ideas. Uh, what you don't want is someone who's been in that same role for two, three, four plus years and maybe sometimes even a lot longer. We've seen that across other organizations where they just get extremely complacent, super comfortable with what they've done in the last you know, five, five, seven, ten years. They just keep repeating that same thing and it's the same playbook. And they haven't realized their competitors have changed their strategy. The market has completely changed or even just their end buyers have completely changed, uh, especially uh, when we talk about like manufacturing sector, you brought that up earlier. You know, uh, the companies were founded by their former former founders who were probably, you know, the first generation or so that started the company. They built a business on relationships and now the end buyers are, you know, no longer there. And they're now still trying to live off of those relationships that their former, you know, former ownership may have built. And they're not willing to change their game, their playbook. Uh, so this is a this is going to be a big surprise for many of those companies as the industry is completely shifting, and many of them have actually kind of recognized it during the COVID time, uh, but it is only going to get even even faster. That change is going to happen. So we couldn't you know emphasize more the best in class companies are you know not just waiting around for just the status quo thing to happen, encouraging their team leaders, uh, especially in the marketing and sales, uh, to take risk, uh, change you know strategy, change course come up with new ideas and innovative ways to go promote their business, get in front of their target customers. But that has to be part of the overarching strategy and com- continuously improving, not just keep repeating the same old strategy. I agree 100%. It's, it, it has to come top down. It starts with leadership. It starts with understanding understanding what type of risk we need to take and, and what the result of those risks uh, will be. Uh, a lot of times, as you mentioned, that cost of inaction can be exponentially greater than the micro cost of uh you know testing a channel testing a campaign strategy um you know that we that we may have uh you know let's say failed that but we'll, we'll certainly learn from that right so the compounding impact of that of well let's test this let's test this let's test that we'll put some money here we'll put some budget there and you may look at that and say we spent x number of dollars over you know six months or over a year over six years whatever that is uh, and, you know, it, it's the, you know, the old Thomas Edison quote, right? It's like, well, we just learned all these, you know, a thousand ways that this didn't work, right? Uh, but the cost of inaction, you might not have any hard, uh, you know, expenses, right? And costs where you say, well, we didn't, I'm glad we didn't do this. Or we didn't go to this trade show. Or we didn't spend money in this channel this month or this quarter because we saved that money, right? But as you mentioned, the competition isn't sitting around. They're not sitting on their hands. So um, their, their growth uh, every day that goes by where they are testing, improving, uh, in, in reaching their audience and reaching their customers and acquiring customers, uh, where that gap is growing exponentially between uh, the, the customer who is committed to improvement, uh, uh, the, you know, the company that's committed to improvement and the company that is uh, too risk averse to, to invest. 
Yeah, and I think the Elon Musk, uh, uh, I'm not exactly sure the quote that he said, but he encourages his team leads and his employees to take risks. And he also said the consequences of taking risk and failing is not uh, high at all. So that he gives people the freedom to go test new ideas, test new ways of doing things. And clearly that's reflected in the companies that he owns. Um, they are, you know, bounds ahead of their competitors in terms of innovation and uh, new ways of doing stuff, right? Like even look at the the space missions that he has or the battery powered or AI driven things that he's doing. It's just crazy um, beyond imagination. But I think that is comes from the top down. Definitely an example uh, would be to just kind of study leaders like Elon Musk and how they are encouraging their uh, companies to do more um, risky things. Um, mm. But it's calculated risk, but it's actually something that you have to make sure that you do allow uh, from top down for their uh, subordinates sure. to do. Sure. Yeah, and one thing that that I want to make sure that we're clear on is that um, it's not that we, you know, we're not results driven or we're not results oriented, right? Uh, in fact, it's the opposite. The best in class companies are very results oriented and and almost have a you know, a need for that perfection when it comes to, you know, generating ROI and reaching their customers and, and maximizing their marketing dollars. And it's the understanding that in order to get there, we need to have that continuous improvement mindset and we need to be able to test and, and iterate along the way, right? So we need to be results oriented, uh, but not hyper focused on, you know, outdated or vanity metrics, right? Um, a lot of times we see organizations that think they're, you know, best in class because of metrics around, you know, number of leads that are being generated or traffic to the website or clicks or impressions or whatever those metrics are that they've, for whatever reason, decided those are the KPIs or those are indicators of success. Uh, and not realizing that, you know, again, things have changed, business has changed. Um, you know, we shouldn't just be continuously trying to generate a list of, of leads, right, of people who maybe uh, saw an ad on Facebook or social media or something like that. Like, we really need to look at how do we influence our our customers' buying decisions and, and how do we fill our sales pipeline and our sales team's pipeline with uh, sales-ready leads and sales-ready opportunities. So you need to know what those metrics are, and you need to be fluid with, again, how we define success and, and able to make adjustments to uh, you know those dashboards, those metrics, however we're grading our team's performance. So uh, continuously, be, continuously be looking at what metrics are indicators of success, how do we measure those, and how do we influence those. Uh, and the results of those, you know, campaigns or, or whatever is successful to us needs to be realistic and, and relevant to uh, our buying cycle, our business, our industry, our customers. So it goes back to what we said earlier about really knowing your audience, knowing your product, knowing your customer, and apply that to the metrics that you're measuring from a, a marketing perspective. So again, a lot of times I look at you know short-term and, and long-term metrics in relation to what was the the purpose of the campaign. Right? We shouldn't be we shouldn't be judging brand building type campaigns or activities or ad spend the same way that we're we're judging you know branded searches on on Google Ads, right? A lot of times we we look at marketing organizations that uh, are are trying to report to leadership that doesn't truly understand marketing, and they'll say, hey, you know we we have you know X, you know fifty dollar cost per lead or whatever it is, and the reason that it is is because you know again you're getting branded searches is the number one driver of leads. Uh, and so in the short term, the best way to get the lowest cost per lead is to cut all uh, ad spend that's going to reach a new audience and put all the ad spend into 
those very bottom of the funnel branded searches of people who probably would have found your website anyway, just to, you know, spruce up the, the marketing reports and, and make you look good for your next quarterly report to the board or to leadership, right? So really understanding what results are important to you as an organization and what they mean in the short term and long term is is something that is really invaluable when it comes to creating that culture of, you know, hey, we are best in class organization and we understand how marketing can drive us forward. One thing I would, I would also add would be more of like a understanding the leading indicators of success. Uh, so if you are doing marketing campaigns and things like that, knowing what are the leading indicators that it is, it is going to end, uh, end in the lag measures, which is going to be the deals, right? So like you said, in terms of the, the sales velocity and uh, close ratio and all of those things could uh, be an indication of what activities may have uh, contributed to that. So if you're, if you're doing you know, branded campaigns or branded search ads, yes, you're going to have a lot low cost of leads and you might even see a higher close ratio because those are people who actually knew you uh, in the first hand and they just happened to find you through whatever that search campaign. But if you really are trying to build a strong brand, Maybe there are things that you might do a podcast or videos or appearing on somebody else's shows or uh, or being a spokesperson for some sort of an association or speaking at events, all of which are probably very time consuming and expensive endeavors, may not have any metrics that you can measure to show success. But that actually still could be contributing to brand awareness that led to people looking for you by your brand name and then converting. So. Um, but the lag measures of sales is the only thing you measure and then you don't recognize how all the other activities are contributing into your overall success. Um, may just make your leadership say, don't go waste your time on webinars and podcasts and uh, whatever else. Don't write another blog, just keep spending more money on our brand name. Uh, yeah. So you do want to make sure that you're measuring both the lag and leading indicators. Yeah, and actually typically the, the activities in the short term that end up having the biggest impact on those lag measures individually are some of the you know maybe worst performing right on paper activities right because as you mentioned uh that one blog that you wrote or that one podcast that you did or the one webinar that you did one speaking engagement that you did uh you know those those type of activities uh, as one-off individual under a microscope events and activities probably not going to produce anything right it's and we use these type of uh analogies all the time but it's it's akin to going to the gym one time and saying well I, you know I, I don't I don't look the way that I want to I went to the gym I did some sit-ups I don't have a six-pack so uh, never never doing that again right let's cancel the membership because we're just wasting money and wasting you know energy going to the gym it's the compounding and cumulative effect of those individual activities that as you mentioned are going to lead to those lag measures of now that we're building some brand awareness building some brand affinity we're we're increasing our you know sales velocity. We're closing deals a lot faster. People are willing to pay more to work with us because they have again that affinity towards our brand. So our lifetime value of a customer goes up. They stay a lot around longer, which again the lifetime value of a customer goes up. In theory, we're now able to spend more to acquire a customer because our lifetime value of a customer is higher. But the more brand awareness and affinity that we have. Uh, the faster the sales velocity, uh, the less we have to spend on on marketing because we have some brand awareness. The more referrals um, and word of mouth that we're going to build, uh, both in channel in terms of you know social media as well as just you know literally general word of mouth and referrals. So all of those things actually bring our our cost of acquisition down. Uh, pair that with a higher lifetime value. Now our profitability is going up, right? So you can't point to one webinar or one LinkedIn post that that accounted for all that it's the cumulative again compound effect of doing that consistently over time 
just like anything really in life and, and in business, uh, it's no different when it comes to marketing. So, uh, Sam, you know, we've talked in theory about these, the mindset that best in class organizations have around marketing. Um, let's let's rattle off and let's go through a couple of companies, right? And in terms of actual examples of, of organization and companies we've seen, and maybe not just from a just marketing perspective, but in terms of the right mindset of these things that we're talking about, understanding the customer, understanding the audience, uh, having a willing willingness to take risk and, and change and adapt with the times. Uh, what are some good examples of, of companies that uh, you know our listeners may be familiar with? Yeah, I mean, I think one example that I can probably lead uh, is not just on the on the um, marketing side alone, but overall how to go to market, right? I think Salesforce is probably one of the first to uh, first to have gone more of a subscription based on a, us- a per user model uh, from a from a sales, and they succeeded. And when originally um, Salesforce CEO went to Oracle when he was an Oracle employee, and he brought up the idea, Brian. Um, um, uh, Mark Benioff, he brought up the idea of a subscription model, and that was shot down by the leadership at Oracle, and they said that that idea would not work. But that, you know, uh, Mark was able to put his life on the line and start that sub- that sort of a model for pricing, and he went to market and made it into a subscription model. Now Salesforce is a leader. And they've also, you know, very customer-centric, and from the very beginning, they've always created products and uh, service offering all around the customer and, and have invested heavily into marketing and sales. And clearly reflected in their uh, earnings and in and how fast the company has grown. So I would say one example might be Salesforce. Um, may not be a, a company that everybody can relate to because of how massive of an organization that is. But again, they took risk on how to position their product, how to start uh, price their product, how to go to market and promote their product, and ultimately has um, earned to be one of the biggest players in the the CRM space. Sure. Yeah, and other you know obvious ones, um, you know that that you know, again companies that are seen as innovators, uh, you know Uber, Airbnb, Apple. You you talked about Salesforce, you know Tesla is is one kind of a disruptor and innovator in the space. Uh, again, we talk about marketing, whether it's you know their marketing, their sales, their go to market, their overall just approach to business. Um, you know, they have all those characteristics that we talked about in terms of best in class companies. Um, other more, I guess, maybe smaller scale examples that are, you know, B2B focused um, that we've seen, you know, really make huge impacts uh, by embracing and embodying these type of characteristics would be, you know, one that comes to mind is, is HubSpot, right? And generating and creating this idea of, of inbound marketing, basically coining that term teaching, you know, they, they understood their audience so much that they understood that I need to teach uh, our audience how to do inbound marketing. And then I need, you know, that's how I'm going to sell them the tools in order to execute it. And first, I need to teach them the why and the how, and then give them the, uh, give them the tools to make that happen. Um, you know, companies like Drift, um, you know, also come to mind in terms of, you know, shaking things up and, and, you know, talking about, hey, the, you know, the MQL is dead and, you know, conversational marketing is the way to go. Uh, so there's a lot of companies like that in the, in the tech space um, that we've seen uh, really understand their customer, their marketing, and, and developing strategies uh, in order to, to reach them. And again, I'm sure there's some, uh, on paper, on a small scale, some ideas of times where maybe there was some wasted, uh, so to speak, marketing budget or marketing efforts. And if they were to give up after the first attempt at you know leveraging organic search or paid search or social media, TikTok, whatever it may be, uh, you know, they wouldn't be the companies that they are today. Most certainly. 
Uh, and some, you know, examples of, of companies that didn't embrace that, didn't, you know, didn't have that continuous improvement mindset and weren't open to change. Obviously, there's, there's you know, the famous examples of, you know, Blockbuster and, and Kodak. Um, I think those are, you know, should be uh, messages to, to all of us as leaders of, of organizations to understand, like, what happens if, if we're, you know, stuck in our ways and stuck with the status quo. It's, you know, we can't have those terms in our vocabulary of, you know, this is the way that, that it's done and this is the way that it's always been. Uh, and that's, you know, that's as an organization, right? And that trickles down into each department. Uh, and what we're talking about, obviously, our focus and, and our expertise is in marketing, uh, but certainly can't be uh, the, the mindset and approach when it comes to marketing is that this is just the way our industry works. This is just uh, the way it is, uh, we need to be innovators. We need to constantly be challenging the status quo uh, and, and rewriting the script. Yeah, and every day I think if you're waking up as a leader, just asking yourself, you know, what could be happening in the industry? What could be happening in the marketplace that might put my business out of business and uh, figuring out what do I need to do to pivot? What do I need to do to uh, reinvent our business, right? And the way we service our customer, the way we position our products, the way we make our uh, products, uh, because at the end of the day, there's you know anything could happen. No one ever thought the 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 taxi industry was going to be completely disrupted. No one ever thought the the hotel industry was going to be completely disrupted. No one ever thought Kodak would ever go out of business. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, everybody used the film, and that's how they take in photos, and that's what everybody thought um, would be the future. And Kodak actually had the opportunity to create digital camera, but they kind of you know misused that opportunity because they were making a ton of money on films. So they figured, well, if we just introduce digital cameras, we're going to lose our money-making uh, product, and that's going to put us out of business. What if they actually embraced it? They could probably be an industry leader and probably have, you know, been in business and doing things, sure. um, you know, what other industry leaders have ended up doing. So yeah, I think regardless of what the product or service that you offer, you need to be always be uh, challenging the status quo, thinking of ways to innovate, and give your leadership and your uh, team members the opportunity to go take risks. And at the end of the day, marketing, it does require a lot of moving, you know, it does require a lot of things uh, to succeed. But these core areas we talked about from a mindset and and approach has to be taken into account before you uh, go run with it. Absolutely. Well, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, Again, we're really excited about this uh, sort of mini series around uh, best in class organizations and observations that we've we've seen and, and data that we've collected around uh, what best-in-class companies are doing from a marketing perspective. So again, today was really just about the mindset and approach that these organizations have when it comes to marketing and, and a little bit, you know, when it comes to sales and their organization. Uh, in future episodes, we're going to dive deep into uh, exactly what their marketing strategies look like, right? What are best-in-class companies doing? What is their what does their marketing organization look like in terms of their team structure? What are they doing in-house? What are they outsourcing? Uh, what channels are they investing into? Uh, what technologies are they investing into? What are they doing from a sales perspective? Uh, what do their websites look like? So um, there's a lot of great uh, information coming up in the in the next few weeks around best-in-class organizations. So please, uh, you know, tune back in uh, next uh, next week uh, for the episode. Uh, please give us a like uh, on whatever platform you're listening to. Subscribe to the channel uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
uh, YouTube, wherever you're listening, and, and share with the friends. Uh, it really helps. Uh, leave us a comment if there's any topics that you want us to cover or uh, anything that you feel like we missed uh, in terms of what best-in-class organizations are doing. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. So thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next week. Growth Marketers is brought to you by One IMS, helping you reach new heights through integrated marketing. One world, one web, one IMS.